Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman. And this week, on the other line, putting up a fence to keep the compies out of the rose bushes, it's Emily Wheeler. Welcome back. Thank you, Jesse. Um, I... I'm excited to be here and joining you for a Jurassic Park to talk about Jurassic Park in general and specifically Jurassic World Dominion because I have done my homework. I have done the two most important pieces of prep to talk about a Jurassic Park movie in that I have a biology degree and I rode the Velocicoaster on opening day at Universal Studios. So I think between those two things, I am the perfect person to break down these movies. Is Is it strange to say... I mean, maybe this isn't true anymore. I haven't been back since they like rebranded the what was the Jurassic Park section of Universal Studios as the Jurassic World section, but arguably the best piece of post Jurassic Park content, I think, was that whole section of the park as as a kid. Specifically the I don't think they had the Raptor coaster there when I last went when I was like twelve, but the the log ride with the the T-Rex at the end definitely did that like three times in a row and definitely as like a huge as like a kid that where Jurassic Park was my favorite movie just like was running around that section what kind of what I assume all the Harry Potter fans do at the Harry Potter section now like whoa look at this thing whoa it's the exact same thing Yeah, I mean, I had been to Universal Studios as a kid, so this would have been in the 90s for me. Um, And then I went again just last year. So yeah, there's huge changes to the park now. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, the the Jurassic Park stuff, it's not really like a whole like little section anymore. There kind of just kind of is this one big coaster that they made. I will say it's an excellent coaster, not that I'm an expert on it, um, but they've gotten rid of a lot of the other stuff that kind of went with Jurassic Park. The big change to Universal Studios, honestly, for me, that makes me upset is to do with the Harry Potter land. Because in taking out Harry Potter land, they got rid of the Jaws ride, and that was my favorite. Oh, R.I.P. That ride was fun. I I honestly, like, have not been since the Harry Potter (laughs) stuff was all added. Like, I think they were building that the last time I went. But that's it for the yeah, it is, section. It is Harry Potter world now. It is it's 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 interesting to go to Universal Studios now because you will, no matter where you are in the park, just people in the full Harry Potter roads at like ninety degree weather. <laughs> that doesn't sound comfortable in swamp swampy Orlando. Um so yeah, as as you mentioned, this week we are talking about Jurassic World Dominion, the now Fifth sequel, the the sixth entry in the Jurassic Park franchise. I'm a little surprised we've gotten to six at this point, though. Maybe I shouldn't be because as much as I, I feel like no sequel has been able to, to fully recapture the magic of the first Jurassic Park, which is almost 30 years ago. Like that occurred to me just the other day, which which makes me feel a little old that like that you know next year is going to be the 30th anniversary of jurassic park and still feels except for maybe some of the tech and maybe like a cgi shot here and there like still feels like a movie that could come out today and be a huge hit but um yeah let's maybe just start there i think before diving into the sequels and stuff of like what what do you think it is about jurassic park that makes it 
so special or such an endearing blockbuster because I, I don't think you can find too many blockbusters from like the late 80s or early 90s. Let, let's let's see. Let's just be more specific and say early 90s that I think can still really hold up today and like a modern audience can still be pretty swept up by and a lot of the effects and stuff like that still really hold up. I think there's kind of two pieces to answer that question. The first is that is the very simple one in that dinosaurs are cool. On a certain level, like everyone will always be excited to see like huge dinosaurs roaring at you in a theater. That is just kind of inherently Mm -hmm. something that a wide amount of people will just love to see. What specifically made Jurassic Park that first one, though, so special is that you did have Spielberg and you did have him bringing that very, very good sensibility of blockbuster filmmaking and understanding both, I think, um, and, and this is not going to be a common point for just me. I think this is a very common point for the entire series of uh Spielberg in particular understood that we not only wanted to be scared by the dinosaurs, we wanted to be in awe of them. And he really hit both very strong. Yeah, I I think the the thing that makes the first one work so well is that perfect blend of awe and fear. Um, I was thinking, you know, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but the entire time I was watching this new one, which I guess I guess I will say we're we're going to fully talk about this movie. So I guess if you're somehow feel like you need a, a spoiler guard, like there it is. Um, but the entire time watching this new one, which is very, very convoluted and very long, it felt like I just kept thinking like how simple just the pitch and the premise is for the first one. Um, of just like th- this whole selling point is it's dinosaurs and and of like what would it be like to see a dinosaur and Spielberg being able to show you how kind of like awe-inspiring and incredible that would be while also like a little bit terrifying in places and that's kind of a feeling that none of the sequels have been able to to kind of fully recapture that kind of magic blend if you're thinking of this as like a smoothie that you're making in the morning um and also i think like you have a team of people behind the scenes on that first movie that i think really understand how to sell an effect to an audience like there's arguably no better filmmaker than spielberg on how to just sell a a fictional or or like unrealistic thing in a real environment like Steven Spielberg and also have people like Dean Cundey shooting the movie and um, people like Phil Tippett working on special effects and um, Oh, who did the, and Stan Winston doing like the, the like animatronic puppets and stuff like, like this whole creative team of people who really fundamentally understand like how to shoot a specific effect whether it's a cg effect or whether it's a animatronic puppet um or even just knowing when to cut away to one of your actors and get one of their reactions i mean every time i've seen this movie i think there's such a genius precision in terms of knowing i need to use the cg shot here the puppet here cut to an actor here and that kind of perfect balance and understanding of when to use what visual cue when really i think makes even still even if like a couple of the cg shots maybe look a little less detailed than they maybe would be now you you fully buy that these are real 
living breathing creatures interacting with the app with the actors because of that very intelligent understanding of when to use what effect when and how long to hold on it and and what part of the dinosaur to focus on um it, it's just a movie that like was probably my favorite movie as a kid it's a big movie for my family because i i don't know about you i grew up in like a very big family so it's very hard for us to all find something to watch that we all like and jurassic park is one of those few movies that kind of checks all the boxes for everyone um and so it's like a movie i've seen watched copious amounts of times growing up but just as i've grown into an adult am am able to identify more of like no there's a lot of like really smart ingenious genius craft behind the scenes um in still making it feel uh as kind of modern and and effective as it would in the early 90s yeah and as key to all the things you're saying about like understanding how to use visual effects and understanding when to use the puppets versus when to use cgi what also goes into that is spielberg's ability to just understand how to tell a story the story overall Mm. and a story within a scene or a sequence so he is a master at kind of establishing an action sequence and getting those like really it seems basic when you break it down but so many people make it kind of mess it up in that he is very precise with each of these sequences where a dinosaur is coming after a after these people of setting up, okay, here's the people, here's the dinosaur or dinosaurs, and here's them moving around a space that we understand, you know, where the exits mm-hmm. are, where the entrances mm-hmm. are, where they can hide, so that you aren't kind of conf- ever confused about what is happening and you understand exactly kind of the situation that they're in. And I think the perfect example of that is kind of the infamous kitchen scene in the first Jurassic Park. That is the one where the two kids come into a kitchen and then two velociraptors follow them in. And it is a contained space. You see in establishing shots exactly that there's only the one door out. There's these kind of islands in the middle and it's a very small space. And then with, as the sequence moves around, as they sort of uh, try to avoid, the kids try to avoid the vo- and hide from the velociraptors, you see oftentimes in the same shots, both the kids and the velociraptors. So it's always very clear where everyone is and exactly the situation everyone is in. And he doesn't try to do too much with that. He just lets the tension play out of that scenario. Yeah, and even the the sort of famous t-rex centerpiece action scene like you perfectly understand the geography of that scene of like where's the where are the cars in relation to each other who's the the lawyer character that's in the bathroom like where he is and like where is the t-rex in relation to these two cars and like the person in the bathroom like you know that uh, both of those scenes i think are perfect like basic film school like here here's how to understand the geography of an action scene um before we move on i was curious like have you ever read the michael crichton novel that the first movie is based off of which i i had obviously seen the movie before but then went back and read it i think when i was in like high school so like several years after i'd seen the movie as a kid no i haven't gone back and read it is it like fun is it really different so it's it's interesting because it's um it is almost beat for beat like identical the you know there is a lot of aspects of like the plot and story that could very much be like, this is a page for page recreation to the script. Um, Although the characters are portrayed very, very differently. It is almost like night and day. Um, A lot of the characters I would say are a little bit um, warmer 
in the movie. They're 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 a little bit uh pricklier in the book than than maybe they're portrayed in the movie. And some people, you know, like the the John Hammond character is a more like outright villain in the book than is in the movie. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. Like Sam Neill, I think, is a little bit more bookish than how that character is portrayed in the movie. Uh, the Goldblum character, Doctor Malcolm, is not nearly as as funny. There's other characters that are bigger in the movie that are much much smaller in the book, and vice versa. So it it is an interesting, uh, I, I guess, comparison in adaptation of like plot wise. It is almost identical. There's even stuff in the book that they would sort of use weren't able to use in the first movie that they then use in the sequels. Um, but character wise very very different in terms of the way they're sort of portrayed on screen versus in the the book i mean even the kids are like reversed age and have very very different personalities than what they do in the movie which is quite interesting um how do you feel about the sequels i guess this is you know i don't know that there's too much for us to what what more can you say about just the awesomeness of jurassic park just like one of the the great blockbusters of all time but how how do you feel about this movie series as like a franchise as as something that Hollywood is kind of we need to keep returning to this um because they all are have been huge hits whenever one comes out um as you said earlier like dinosaurs like you what's what's the mo- what's a more like universally appealing thing than dinosaurs i don't know pizza maybe but like <laughs> um i would not say that the sequels have like a very high reputation in the minds of a lot of people, even though anytime one comes out, it's a like giant event and people go see it and it's a huge hit. I mean, the sequels, I think really people feel kind of the same way as what you were describing about them. The only real uh, time when you get a lot of differences of opinion, I think is with the second one. I think Lost World, some people Mm. really, really love that movie. I am in the camp of really, really loving Lost World. Um, and some people think it is it was the immediate downturn and Lost World is just terrible and awful. And then beyond that, I think everyone kind of has varying degrees of they weren't very good to they are awful. Um, but I mean, that being said, uh, because I do really, really love the Lost World, I'll stick up for that one a little bit. I think that's where I have the most to say about it. Um, I just I do not get what people think is so fundamentally terrible about the Lost World because you still have Spielberg there. So you still have these like individual really great sequences. I personally, for instance, think that the tall grass sequence with the velociraptors in Lost World is one of the best of the entire series. And also in Lost World, you have Julianne Moore, which I do want to take time out to kind of talk about how interesting Julianne Moore's career has been in that she will just do anything. She does very serious dramas. She does weird stuff like safe. And then she'll do the lost world or these really like incredibly kind of silly blockbusters at times. And just like her versatility and her ability to just bring kind of the greatness of Julianne Moore to something like the lost world, I think is just makes it so enjoyable of a movie to me. Yeah, it's I'm maybe of the mind of the sequels like I guess the one that I've been meaning to rewatch cuz I haven't seen it since I was a kid is Jurassic Park 3, but I I I probably do agree with you that I think The Lost World, which is the one Spielberg came back to, the one sequel Spielberg did do is probably the best made of any of the the sequels if only because I I'm I'm a bit mixed on it cuz I think on one hand 
I agree with you. Like it's got some pretty like incredible set pieces in it. I mean, the really standout one for me is the, the kind of truck hanging over the cliff sequence where like the T-Rexes are trying to push the, the like Humvee, not, not Humvee, but the RV that they're traveling in over a cliff. Um, it is though a movie that is very, um, feels very sweaty to me. It feels like a sequel that is very much kind of like straining itself to, to exist in the first place. And, is I would say before this new one that is coming out this weekend um, is probably the most like it, it is a movie that I think would take me about five minutes to explain to someone like has one <laughs> of the more complicated plots of a Jurassic Park movie. Um, and and it, you even can feel sort of Spielberg and he's been open about this, about kind of being excited to do a sequel and then kind of getting in the middle of it and being like, I kind of don't know what more I can add to this. And so it kind of just becomes a monster movie at some point, which then kind of carries into Jurassic Park 3, which is is the one movie in the series that really is just a B movie. It's basically just like people, it's it's 90 minutes, like it's people cra- plane crash on the island. And then like, as soon as they get out of like the plane wreckage, like, dinosaurs are trying to eat them and it's just 90 minutes of people running and screaming as various meat-eating dinosaurs chase them around most recently then the series has kind of gotten handed over to colin trevorrow so i mean have you seen his first movie uh safety not guaranteed i have and um i really really enjoyed that movie but i do think he's kind of become kind of the textbook example of what people complain about in how hollywood is set up right now in that he has he he put out that one kind of acclaimed and really enjoyed uh indie movie that did well at festivals and then he was handed this massive blockbuster that i don't know that he was quite ready to handle yeah it's it's i've (laughs) some of the people i know that have also seen that movie and maybe some people i know who didn't like it i've always been sort of baffled by like it clearly seems like spielberg just liked it and then was like let's bring this guy in and trevorrow pitches i guess this idea for how to kind of reboot and bring back the franchise which i i think the first jurassic world that he writes and directs has like a nugget of a good idea in it which is what if there's a functioning dinosaur theme park and we're in a world where much like in the movies, like people are not wowed by the idea of seeing dinosaurs anymore and corporate greed trying to figure out like what what the links corporate greed will go to to try and bring something new to audiences, which in the movie is creating this like genetically engineered mutant dinosaur that is <laughs> just gets loose and starts wreaking havoc in the park. Um, I'm, I'm kind of mixed on that. I don't, what are your kind of thoughts on that first movie that kind of brought back the series? Cause I'm, I'm sort of mixed on it. I think kind of the thing that is sort of in its favor is also the thing that holds it back to me, which is it's Trevorrow trying to do Spielberg karaoke, essentially like it's, it's him trying to give you the trying to recreate the style of that first Jurassic Park movie and even broader Spielberg stuff like I mean the the Chris Pratt character is basically modeled off of Indiana Jones and there's something kind of like there's both the fun of kind of seeing a Spielberg knockoff because it's it's kind of like the fun of 
sing a karaoke version of your favorite band while also the entire time watching it i kept just thinking you know just because the first jurassic park just lives rent free in my brain all the time i just kept thinking watching it like this is kind of a not that good you're i i admire that you're there's a certain fun in trying to recreate this the beats of this other movie and try and recreate the pleasures of this other movie and this other filmmaker but also like you're just sort of drawing attention to yourself that you're not you're not quite at the same level if that makes any sense yeah that makes perfect sense and it's a lot i have a lot of similar feelings to it and that i i don't think that one is a necessarily terrible movie i think it's perfectly fine and it is kind of just playing the hits it's not really doing anything too unique it really is just kind of all right let's do jurassic park again here's another park they're trying to reopen it and then all the dinosaurs get out and they start fighting each other and i mean you know it's it's like a solid down the it's like a three out of five star like this is watchable but also there is kind of a better movie version of this movie that already exists somewhere else and this kind of feels a little redundant in like a lesser way yeah exactly i agree with all of that so then there's I think for me the one film in this series that kind of I I I had to hop off the ship was Fallen Kingdom which uh Trevorrow writes but doesn't direct I believe because he was developing the Star Wars movie that didn't pan out around the same time. It's directed by J.A. Bayona. Um I actually think in some ways is a better directed movie than the first Jurassic World. Like I I think J.A. Bayona probably gets the closest anyone has gotten to the the way Spielberg kind of understands how to shoot the dinosaur effects and is able to, um, I think, find kind of interesting way to uh, establish their presence on screen and shoot them in a way. I, I don't think it quite recaptures the wonder of Spielberg, but kind of captures the something that's sort of terrifying about the predatory dinosaurs. But... Um, that is a movie I remember like actively really disliking in theaters, probably because the, the script is so nonsensical and, and ludicrous, um, which to even tease where we're going to go with this movie now is not the most nonsensical and ludicrous entry in this franchise. (laughs) Um, but that, that is one that I remember like act actively disliking when I saw it back in. It's like 2017, 2018, that movie comes out. Um, I, I don't know. What Do you have any revisionist takes on, on that movie? Or are you kind of with me that, that that one's like a real stinker in the franchise? Yeah, it's terrible for all the reasons you said. I, I don't necessarily know if that is um, J.A. Bayona's fault. I think he's a solid director who's done some really good stuff outside of that. But that script is just awful. Like what mm-hmm. I, I honestly going into uh, Dominion, I was trying to just remember what had happened in Fallen Kingdom. I had no interest in rewatching it. I was not going to do that. Well, so lucky I for you, do... Dominion opens with a now this video that basically explains to you every, <laughs> everything that happened in the last in the last movie, which was a little bit of me kind of being like, oh, no, in my seat. But I, I, I mean, 
So I did a kind of fun exercise, or what I found kind of fun, is that I refused to even go, like, reread the Wikipedia page on what had happened in Fallen Kingdom. I tried to just literally remember the weird parts that actually made me laugh out loud, and it wasn't supposed to make me laugh in Fallen Kingdom, because just the most ludicrous things were happening. (laughs) And, like, the two things I remembered was, like, oh, yeah, there was, like, a volcano... And we had this really weird shot where, like, they were leaving all these dinosaurs to die. And there was, like, a brontosaurus or something that, like, oh, we lingered right. on. Like, we were supposed to mourn it. And I was like, I don't know this brontosaurus. I don't think this shot works at all. I don't know what we're doing here. <laughs> and then the other thing I was, I remembered, I was like, was there a clone girl who released all the dinosaurs into the world because they try to like establish a connection between her and the dinosaurs because they're both clones. And I was like, I don't think she made the right choice. They're like, don't release the dinosaurs into the world. <laughs> yeah. There's a great YouTube essay. I guess it's two essays. Cause he didn't then did a sequel to it. Like once fallen kingdom came out, but um, YouTube essayist uh, Patrick, Willems uh did this this great I think if anyone wants a longer conversation about kind of like the struggles of the Jurassic Park sequels to kind of recapture the feeling of the original I think that is a great video to look up and it's like 30 minutes and really deep dives I think into kind of what we were talking about about that struggle to kind of find that balance between awe and terror and kind of after that first one you can't you can't really put the awe back in the box because the audiences have already seen dinosaurs. And so a lot of these sequels kind of just become monster movies. But the other kind of thing he really touches on in that video that um, I was kind of reminded of with you talking about uh, fallen kingdom is there's sort of an empathy breakdown that happens in the sequel. Like in the first movie, none of the characters really kind of know what, what they're being brought to the dinosaur Island for until they get there. And part of the problem with the sequels is trying to re-engineer and figure out ways of like, how do we get people back on this Island that the audience knows is a bad, is like a terrible place where people die and that everyone kind of in this world knows. And so like that, that's part of, I think the sweatiness in like the lost world is like them really working overtime to like, shoot, how do we get, people back on the island that everyone knows is like an ecological disaster and there's animals on there that are probably going to kill them and like maybe uh jurassic park 3 is like the most successful of just like people just playing crash on there um but (laughs) then then that that creating a whole other kind of what when you watch the jurassic world movies they're like so they went and they tried for a third time to build a dinosaur park and (laughs) thought that it was going to go fine and then that empathy machine truly breaks down in fallen kingdom where correct me if I can't remember the plot correctly. I believe it like opens with like people are scrambling to get off the, like it shows you dinosaurs attacking people in the opening. And then there's like a Senate hearing where Jeff Goldblum in like his one scene basically tells everyone like, so apparently there's a volcano on the island. Guys, we lucked out. Nature is giving us a free out. The the dinosaurs are just going to like die off on this island and this mistake that we made is going to get taken care of like for itself and you as an audience member are like cool. Sounds like a great idea. I think this is all just sort of working itself out. And then the movie wants us to empathize with like Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard being like we need to save the dinosaurs off the island and you as an audience member are like 
horrible idea. Why are you trying to do that? Like Jeff Goldblum just said, we get a free out and then, then it becomes this weird, like Gothic horror movie all set in like a mansion with like, you know, cartoonishly villainous people like auctioning the dinosaurs in the second half. And then there's the clone girl that you mentioned who then at the very end is like, they have souls like me and freeze all the dinosaurs out into the world. And you're supposed to be like, Oh, they really do have souls. And as, as an audience member, I just remember having the same reaction of, no, what are you doing? This is a terrible... We, I just sat through a two and a half hour movie of dinosaurs killing people. This is a horrible idea. I don't care if they have souls. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's 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 the series. I don't know if you got any other thoughts on kind of... But, but that is something that jumped out to me is like, there is also a strain in the sequels of being like, no, don't go back to the island. That's a horrible idea. <laughs> and... And maybe the one other positive thing I will I will throw on Fallen Kingdom is at least being like, this is at least ending in a potentially different status quo than the other movies of like, okay, di- dinosaurs are out in the real world. And if the next sequel is what, how, how, how do humans interact with dinosaurs out in the world and what kind of like, craziness does that cause out in the world or even the awe of like a brachiosaurus is walking down you know times square or something like that like like the there there's potentially like a new direction for the series to move in um after the end of that movie even though being kind of like baffled and completely not on the movie's side through throughout most of its running time yeah, I think there's kind of two things I would add to kind of the running themes of what you were saying there. Is that first, the struggle of, I think, all of the Jurassic Park movies. I think the I, I think this problem exists for all the Jurassic Park movies. However, the first one is the only one that deals with it effectively, is the fundamental question of, why would you do that? Like, don't bring dinosaurs back. They're going to eat us all. And, and I mean, that immediately is pointed out in the first movie by like all of the experts being like, no, this is a terrible idea. Do not do this. Right. Um, I love how it's like the, the <laughs> lawyer who's there to potentially shut down the park is like, this is a great idea. You guys are going to make so much. We can make so much money off of this. And everyone's sitting around being like, this is, this is horrible. What What were you thinking? <laughs> Right. And I think like you have, yes, you have some leeway to get away with that once a little bit more. And then the rest of the movies kind of fall into the question of, okay, they're here. So do they deserve to keep living? And it becomes, I believe, a question. I I, I feel like this is brought up explicitly in one of the movies or in several of them. The idea that, uh, well, you know, take for instance, in Fallen Kingdom, you have the question of, well, the clone girl and the dinosaur clones are the same because they're both clones. And there's this fundamental idea of, well, she's like a person. And the way Earth has evolved is that people exist right now. And through no fault of like human intervention or anything, dinosaurs had their time and they naturally went extinct. Through like It was a natural process of why they are not here anymore. So really, in reality, what they've done is completely messed up kind of the way the world works by bringing them back at a time when they actually should not be here. So none of them have effectively dealt with really that question. I think they've fun- they've brought that up quite fundamentally, but then they were just like, eh, but we can't actually get rid of the dinosaurs because that would end the entire series. Maybe this is a time for us to transition into this new one, which, as I said, kind of o- opens with dinosaurs have, have, have 
kind of repopulated the earth and mankind is living with dinosaurs um i would say though would you say it's safe to say that like colin trevorrow does not seem that interested in the dinosaurs which is a little baffling to me in in this movie i i think the the funniest um sort of analogy of this i saw in kind of any review for the for this movie was david sims at the atlantic kind of describing how Colin Trevorrow just sort of like treats the dinosaurs among humans in this movie as just kind of a nuisance. Like it's kind of like the analogy I gave at the beginning of this episode to introduce you. Like you just sort of like open the curtains and are just like, ah, damn it. The, the, the triceratops just like walked through the flower bush again (laughs) or something like that. They're just sort of like pests that are just kind of like, well, dang it. Now this dinosaur is like blocking traffic or something like that. And, and it's, I think this movie even had an opportunity to recapture some of that awe of seeing dinosaurs in our real world, but it's kind of, they're kind of just like wallpaper in this movie, which is a little baffling and strange to me. And we'll get into more of what this movie is actually kind of interested in and actually about, which I, I I just thought one of the great kind of overthinking of a movie franchise installment in our lifetime. This movie is interested in something. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I, I mean, I think, I think one of the things you're kind of dancing around is kind of the fundamental problem of this last Jurassic World movie. And really, as it turns out, as a capper of what they ended up doing with the entire kind of three Jurassic World movies is that they don't follow through on the title change. The first three movies are called Jurassic Park and you get parks. If you change that title to Jurassic World, you better give us a world, a Jurassic World, where there's dinosaurs everywhere. And they finally got to the point at the end of Fallen Kingdom of saying, yeah, we're going to go out into the entire world and there's going to be dinosaurs everywhere. And then this movie, where we finally should have gotten a Jurassic World, goes back to a park. And you're like, you've made another Jurassic Park movie and you're not giving me what you promised. So, yeah, let's let's kind of break down this movie into three sort of chunks i think the first chunk to break down is sort of table setting like like what is the established world of this movie um when it starts you know as we as we have explained in a in a now this video by the way feel feel pretty feel free to just hit the buzzer at any moment be like stop we need to talk about this (laughs) um (laughs) so the dinosaurs have have spread across the continents again they're a nuisance to many people out in the world but people are like what can we do about them well what we apparently can do about them as world leaders are like i don't know what can we establish any laws surrounding what you can and can't do to the dinosaurs um a tech billionaire who i thought bizarrely looked a lot like um apple's current apple ceo tim cook (laughs) essentially repossesses the the dinosaurs and moves some of them to this like hidden compound he has like somewhere in like a hidden mountain range apparently i did you know that this is a character from the first movie actually this is something i read the other day that i was like this totally went over my head and i've seen the movie like a billion times no i never caught that okay okay so you know the scene in the first movie where um wayne knight is like at a uh at a restaurant somewhere in like costa rica and the guy in like the red polo and the little like straw hat comes over and like hands him 
the uh the shaving cream container and is basically like we you know basically sets the the plot in motion of like we want you to kind of like uh steal a couple embryos from the lab and you can shut off the power and we can sneak you off the island essentially yes i remember that guy is he supposed to be that guy he's supposed to be that guy who is a a bigger character in the book there's this whole other kind of plot line in the book about how there is a rival kind of the book goes into more details about how there's this rival tech company that is trying to get a hold of the dinosaur technology or trying to re re uh produce the kind of genetic technology that engine is using to create the dinosaurs on the park but spielberg i think very wisely um david kep who wrote the screenplay kind of like distill that to like this one small scene of basically just like you you as an audience get like yep there's just another cup or just other people it doesn't matter who it is just other people want the dinosaur technology and that's all we need to know but it it kind of being a weird thing in the sequel of Trevorrow is trying to kind of refashion this in real time to be like, this has all been this one kind of overarching saga story. And so like it, it totally went over my head that this like evil tech CEO that looks a lot like Tim Cook in this movie is supposed to be that same character from the first Jurassic Park movie. Cause it's such a like, nothing character it's it's just sort of a an a engine to get the the plot of the movie going essentially well i mean even from that little bit that we get of that guy in jurassic park i mean these are two fundamentally different people that is not the same character as written because that scene in jurassic park plays out as like he is annoyed by how weird the uh, other guy is being and he's like will you just be chill and act like incognito like we're trying to do here and this character in dominion has no chill like one of the most awkward things to me about dominion is that they introduce this character and he has some like odd social tics that they play for laughter and it plays very similar to me as like was this character supposed to be neurodivergent? Because, like, there's some, like, little tendencies of, like, he doesn't pick up on social cues and things. And that's fine to have a character like that. It's bad if you play that for laughter. And this movie clearly plays that for laughter. So, no, I never would have made that connection because those are two fundamentally different characters. Yeah, and and a lot of, the, like, weird social tics I just sort of chalked up to, like, um, you know, trying to connect to like weird tech see people like mark zuckerberg now who people kind of like we no one really likes facebook and thinks that facebook is up to like no good and mark zuckerberg is just kind of this weird guy with like awkward social skills who runs this seemingly nefarious company this this company that just sort of like does more harm in the world than good but yeah we're we're probably harping too much on that but essentially like Let's call him Tim Cook, even though his real character in the movie is is Dachshund, is has repossessed a lot of the dinosaurs and is trying to build a sanctuary for them. Um, there are also like dinosaur poachers and smugglers, and there here here's kind of the big thing I'm trying to establish. Colin Trevorrow in this movie, I think, seems a lot more interested in what kind of nefarious financial uh schemes do people you know like what what how do people want to benefit off the dinosaurs like there's all this stuff about like black market trading and 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 sort of illegal breeding of dinosaurs 
um, as well as like whatever is happening at this company. And he's very interested in clearly like what, what are, what other things are possible if there's like genetic technology to recreate dinosaurs, what other kind of mutations and cloning could you be doing? And at a certain point it kind of becomes what I hinted at earlier, like convoluted to the point of like, I think we're overthinking this. Like the appeal of this series is it's dinosaurs and it's dinosaurs and people interacting with each other. And this movie is spinning, is getting a little too caught up in like its world building and spinning all these hypotheticals of like, well, if this is possible, then would this be possible? And if that's possible, could we do this? And, and taking it to these extremes of like, losing i think kind of the central appeal of this series and the central thing that i think is bringing a lot of people to the movies yeah we need to talk about the locusts in the room because there is yeah i mean i think that's what you're dancing around here there is a large it is essentially like half of the plot because um half of the movie is about kind of uh the returning characters from jurassic park Um, Ellie, Grant, and Ian kind of going after this uh, big evil biotech company. It's called Biosyn in the movie um, that is led by this Tim Cook guy. Um, They're going after him essentially because they've realized that this company has unleashed these, like, I I think they're genetically modified locusts or maybe they're ancient locusts. I I wasn't quite clear on that. I I sort of (laughs) interpreted, even though it's it's very unclear in the movie, I sort of interpreted it as they were like locusts had like dinosaur genes sort of mixed in with them so they became this like weird super mutant locust um but yes it it is very like when that came up i think when the locusts are introduced i was like oh wait what is the what is this but then once the plot sort of like fully explains itself and then you're like wait is this really gonna be like what the backbone of the movie is is like we gotta expose the locust conspiracy i, w- I was a little ba- baffled yeah, and those locusts, that whole locust uh, plot is getting uh, a lot of flack from people because on the one hand, it's it's exactly true what you said. Like, it is taking away from the dinosaurs and that is a bad, very, very bad idea if you're making a Jurassic Park movie. Um, however, I will stick up for it a little bit and this may be my biology background coming in because what they are doing with that biotech company is, I mean, I sat there and really was just like, oh, they're doing like a Monsanto riff, which if you're familiar with Monsanto is a company that makes, um, uh, is a big biotech company, but they're very well known for making doing very shady things with their genetically modified wheat seeds. Mm. Um, <laughs> and um, they, they've had a lot of legal troubles and there's been a lot of uh, very troubling things that they have done is how I will put it. Um And there is a lot if you study how um, kind of economics and environmental systems work. Um, There are a lot of instances of people, both in a large biotech company, like this one envisioned in the movie, or in more regional uh, setups, more like uh, little government skirmishes, you do have people trying to control both food and water supply. It's a very effective method of controlling people. And that's what they're trying to talk about with this locust uh, whole subplot is basically this company is trying to start controlling basically the world food supply, which is terrifying. Like it is, it is not actually like this huge scientific kind of like sci-fi scenario. Like it is actually talking actually much more specifically about something that happens in our world and is a very real possibility given the tech that we have uh, than suddenly we create dinosaurs. So like if it wasn't in a Jurassic Park movie, I think that would be a very interesting thing to deal with. The issue is 
I don't really need that subplot when there's dinosaurs. I'd rather see the dinosaurs. Right. So I guess, I guess this is a perfect time for us to say the movie kind of follows these sort of dual plot lines that eventually converge. And I would say like the, the, back third of the movie or like the climax of the movie one features the newer cast members of mostly like the last couple movies mainly chris pratt and bryce dallas howard um arguably i think the dullest couple in the history of american movies i mean i i another funny moment from like uh (laughs) david sims hilarious review in the atlantic was saying like there we're we're supposed to there are these two characters that have kind of had this like quote unquote bickering romance over the course of these last three movies. And in this one, they're supposed to be a fully formed couple, but that like, even when they hug, it kind of feels like two like awkward middle schoolers, like trying to hug for the first time. (laughs) Like I can't, I'm hard pressed to think of like a couple on screen that has less and less chemistry and, and two very like nothing burger characters that this franchise has kind of put themselves on. I mean, I I don't want to go too much down the Chris Pratt rabbit hole. I would say like, listen to Jake Triple and I last year, I think when whatever that alien invasion movie that Chris Pratt was in, I probably went on my Chris Pratt rant there, but like, it's just sort of amazing to me of like, as time has gone on the like, more and more personality that's been sucked out of Chris Pratt on screen to the point of this movie. He's basically just a GI Joe doll on screen, like has zero personality as a character, but um, I digress. Anyway, those two are like hiding out in, I believe like Montana somewhere with the little clone girl who is meant to be now like the kind of emotional backbone of this whole series. <laughs> um, and they're hiding out there because people, she, she is just as much a target for these dinosaur poachers as the dinosaurs themselves. Uh, eventually she is captured along with the baby of Chris Pratt's pet Velociraptor blue. Um, there's a very, I kind of, complicated sort of whiff answer as to like well why can blue have a baby all of a sudden and then someone like explains later in the movie like well because blue we input a bit of a monitor lizard dna and the monitor lizards can produce on their own be like okay okay we're over we're overthinking this um so anyway blue (laughs) baby blue is we'll call it the very cute little velociraptor baby and the clone girl get kidnapped by dinosaur poachers and that basically leads chris pratt and bryce dallas howard on this globe trotting mission to that goes through like dinosaur black market dealers. There's like a whole sequence in like, can you remember what the country is? It, it, for my memory, it's just sort of vague middle East or African or Mediterranean country. I don't know. You, you audience member just fill in the blanks, but they go I to this the city is Malta. Okay, okay. So they go to, there's like this whole cantina sequence almost in like the dinosaur black market where people are like selling dinosaur parts and mutant dinosaurs and having Pokemon battles with dinosaurs. And they meet up with like a dinosaur smuggler there who owns a plane and can kind of like fly them around and stuff like that. And they're chasing the dinosaur poachers who have the 
the clone girl. And we eventually learn that the poachers have been hired by the evil tech hub CEOs. And then the, the second half of this movie, as you kind of hinted, has our legacy characters bringing back Laura Dern, Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum. But they're all kind of wrapped up in this bizarre conspiracy plot involving like the locusts and the tech ceo trying to control the world's food supply that feels like something out of like a james bond or an austin powers movie or something like like this would be ridiculous for a james bond movie and the more the movie goes on the more the like tim cook ceo seems more and more like a bad james bond villain and so like a large part of this is Jeff Goldblum trying to like sneak Sam Neill and Laura Dern into this like hidden compound out in the mountains and they've got to like go undercover and steal the genetic makeup <laughs> of these locusts. Um, I, I, I don't know. It just sort of seems like on one hand, the plot of this movie that has more dinosaurs, I think has like the least interesting cast members in it. But then like the cast members that I was, I, I, as a fan of the first one, was a little excited to see Goldblum, Neil, and Dern back on screen together. I think we can talk about how successful that attempt to wheel them back in ultimately is. But then it's weird that they're saddled with like the half of the movie that is like, it feels beamed in from a totally different kind of movie and and is like the least engaging, I thought, of the, the stuff. I, I don't know. The... The the Malta dinosaur smuggling sequence also has like the single worst action set piece I think I've seen in a movie in like five years, um, which is the like Raptor motorcycle chase that is in the trailers and is like <laughs> I've been uh, describing which it. Feaster, which features Bryce Dallas Howard clotheslining a Raptor. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> the reason this I mean the reason that sequence sort of infuriates me is it is like really choppy editing that's like all in close-ups and like the camera is constantly shaking and i just kept sitting there thinking to myself like i have no idea what on god's green earth is happening like we talked about kind of the brilliant set piece construction of the first movie with like the uh the t-rex attack on the jeeps or the raptors in the kitchen and sort of perfectly understanding the geography and where people are in relation to each other. And you you can, as a visual experience, totally follow what's happening and Spielberg bringing attention out of that. But th this is like, like a bad, like born ripoff. Like remember that period in like the late two thousands where people were trying to rip off the born movies, including like that one really bad Daniel Craig bond movie. And it was like, let's just do every sequence has like chaotic editing. And like, we'll make whoever the cinematographer is like really just like aggressively shake the camera and to cry and try and create the sensation of urgency. But as an audience member, you're like, I'm confused. Actually, I don't know what's going on. Cause you're not providing me any kind of visual geography at all. Um, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. Did, what what did you kind of think, I think, more? Because we've sort of talked about the the locust plot of the, the sort of other half of this movie that is, I would call, the dino smugglers, dino black market plot with Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard. So what I will say uh, kind of about these two, two plots is, one, just to take a minute on uh, the locust, is that that plot 
kind of works just because the original cast has such good chemistry. And that's all really there is to say about, I think, that entire subplot. Uh, the other the other half of the plot, which is the new cast trying to essentially go from track these smugglers and then find the girl that had been kidnapped. Um, yes, there is an issue of that core cast just having zero chemistry. It's been an issue for the entire Jurassic World movies. Um, one of the interesting things I realized in watching that side of the plot that was actually early on in the beginning of the movie, when they are still out in the woods kind of taking care of, of this girl, I had this moment where there's these scenes of basically Bryce Dallas Howard trying to be a surrogate mom to this girl. And I realized, I was like, oh, like it's not an issue of like Bryce Dallas Howard is miscast or can't do this role because that's what I kind of thought about her in the previous movies. but those scenes reminded me so much of the remake of Pete's dragon where she is mm. essentially in the woods trying to be a surrogate mom. And I love that movie. And I love the sense of awe in that movie. And I think she is wonderful as a mom in the, as the surrogate mom in that movie. So I was like being reminded of that. I was like, Oh, like she can do this kind of stuff. Um, the, the, the movie around her, I think is failing her. And, and I think Chris Pratt has his own issues. Um, I, I've never found him a particularly, uh, great screen presence as he has reinvented himself after Parks and Rec is kind of an action star. I think he's mm-hmm. just not, he just doesn't have the screen presence for it, I don't think. But then you get to Malta and you have, yes, that very, very odd sequence, very over-edited action sequence that just doesn't work. And it, that kind of continues through all of it. The one thing I want to point out about their plotline is the one thing about Jurassic World Dominion that works. And that's why I want to point it out. And that is the introduction of a new character played by DeWanda Wise. Mm-hmm. She is essentially the like person they get that can uh, has her own plane, and she's essentially a smuggler. She is essentially playing Han Solo. Um, yeah, and yeah. she is yeah, she is wonderful at it. I think she brings like she doesn't have a character to play. Don't get me wrong. No, but she has it's, that it's wonderful all personality. Kind of, Yeah, she has that personality. She has the presence. She's kind of cocky and, you know, she's kind of flirting with everybody. And it's just, she has a, she has the right presence that works in a very kind of movie where you, a blockbuster movie where you do not need a character. You just need a personality. And I do think that she is wonderful in this movie. So let's, let's also talk about the new, or not the new character. Let's, let's talk about the legacy characters who are brought back. Cause I think, while, well, I do agree with you that I I think Dern, Goldblum, and uh, Neil all have much better chemistry together than the the newer cast members do. There, there's a lot of very kind of like forced callback humor among their interactions that didn't quite work for me, and and some of this is a product of. This this is a legacy sequel. We are in the day and age of of legacy sequels, but a lot of their interactions kind of made me think of. Um, I don't know if you've seen the the new Top Gun movie yet, but I that that is the other movie that I sort of thought of continuously watching this, other than the original Jurassic Park. Is that is a legacy sequel that at its core I think understands the appeal of its series, like understands that what people like about top gun is tom cruise in airplanes and and that's it and i'm just like let's let's not overthink this let's just do like the most efficient like well-made version of like that premise um 
and even that like that is a movie that has you know these these nostalgia scenes that are meant to call back to the first movie and are meant to uh get an emotional reaction out of the audience and make them think like oh yeah that's a callback to this or oh we're bringing back this character but i think that's done so much more effectively in that movie like thinking of the the scene where val kilmer comes back as as Iceman in the most recent top gun movie and like that actually somehow carries a bit of a pretty hefty bit of emotional weight to it and i think that movie is is able to use its nostalgia in a way to add like an extra depth of emotion onto its movie whereas here that it, it it just feels forced in a weird way and it it none of the humor really landed for me i thought the even though i think laura dern and sam neil have this very cute chemistry in the first one like I would not say like the will they won't they get together thing as like that seemed like an odd thing for them to, you know, <laughs> graph on to this movie is like Sam Neill just sort of seems like the curmudgeon person who is just sort of like only there because he has a crush on Laura Dern and they have this like long lost romance. And I was like, I don't that's never been something that I think I like they it's hinted in the first one that they kind of have like a bit of a, a flirtatious or like off the books, uh, coworker relationship. <laughs> Let's put it that way in the first movie. But like, I don't, I've never thought that this was really about like their, their romance over the course of six movies or Goldblum doing basically like all of the Jeff Goldblum memes from Jurassic park as part of his performance. I, I don't know. I, I'm curious your thoughts more on on them being brought back because that was probably like the biggest sell of this movie to me. I truthfully got goosebumps in the theaters seeing like the previews for this and them coming back and was at first sort of presently pleasantly surprised that like they're in so much of the movie. But I just thought like the material they were being given to work with, even just in their interactions with each other, just like really, really like did not work and felt like it was sort of straining for all of these sort of like member berries moments of like callbacks to the first one and and the mood trevorrow not trusting just their chemistry together to sell that section of the movie or to be the reason enough to bring them back i think your comparison to uh top gun maverick is actually um really incisive because I think it brings up exactly kind of what you are talking about and what went wrong with this uh, legacy sequel in Jurassic World Dominion versus what went exactly right in the legacy sequel um, Maverick in that what Maverick was trying to do in being a legacy sequel and what was successful about it was not constant callbacks. Dominion went with constant callbacks. Maverick went with Let's evoke the storytelling style and tone of the first movie. And I think that ended up being a much more effective kind of a, a legacy sequel, whatever we're calling these things. When you watch Top Gun Maverick, you felt like you were watching a movie that was out of time. It's not a movie that should be made in 2022. It was a movie that should be made in 1980s. Um, and yet it works as that the nostalgia of having that style of filmmaking 
really worked super well and it made it stand out against all these other blockbuster movies that are made in the current style. Um, versus Dominion is very much a blockbuster movie of the here and now. It is very much the frantic action editing that is still hanging around but starting to go out of style that is just terrible. It's that uh, idea that what people want to see is to be to to point at something and go, I remember that on the screen. There's versus- even that is a line <laughs> in this movie, like when BD Wong shows up, who they've somehow made kind of like and and they've tried to give him i love bd wong as an actor but they've tried to give that character that is sort of um i will say much bigger in the book and then has a very small part in like one scene part in the original and then they've tried to make him this kind of like other overarch the other arc among the more recent jurassic jurassic world whatever we're calling them movies um and there is a bit when he shows up at the end and sam neil just points and is just like i know you and like (laughs) i just thought it was funny i was like well the movie is at least being literal about like what all of this all of these callbacks to the original are it's just for the audience to be like hey i know that thing hey there's the shaving cream container hey there's the dilophosaurus or whatever the spitting thing is called like (laughs) Uh. <laughs> one one of the one of the great things about the Jurassic Park movies is that you get a lot of film critics trying to talk about it and being like, "What kind of dinosaur is that?" and just like fumbling over dinosaur names, like I don't remember which one's which. There's a T Rex and Velociraptors. Other than that, I don't know. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how like kids know that? Like as a kid, I could like name all that stuff perfectly, and now as an adult, like I stumble over it. And then when I hang out, like. I have nephews who are very into dinosaurs and I'll mispronounce something and they are like so quick to like correct me on this like 15 syllable dino word dinosaur name. It's just amazing how like the the just savant level that kids are able to understand all of those words and then like as soon as you I don't know go through puberty or something you're like I don't know I can't pronounce it anymore. I have too many other things to track in my brain. Like my brain is full with like trying to make like when do I need to pay my mortgage and things like that. Right. All the dinosaur names now. That's what's really going on here, I think. But I mean, like kind of to wrap up what we were saying before. Um, yeah, you bring back people like B.D. Wong and you bring back kind of these, uh, the the shaving cream can, which now makes perfect sense why that was suddenly there. Right, time. exactly. I was like, why was that there? Now that makes sense. Um, but like the the callbacks are not as satisfying as telling a satisfying story and this movie never figured out how to tell a satisfying story and that became that that is the core issue with it um i will just take a moment to talk about bd wong because i'm kind of in the same boat as you is he is a guy i've always really liked watching on screen in various things i love that he's kind of become a background character that just keeps coming back throughout all the jurassic park movies I am so baffled by his plot line in this movie. because <laughs> I am too. I mean, I kind of like him as just sort of like he comes in for one scene as just the like nefarious exposition scientist. But then in here where there's the bit where he, like he's the one that wants the clone girl, but he's like, you have something in your, you're not just a clone. You're a birth clone from your clone <laughs> mother. And she would fix something. It She took the cancer gene out of her body, but of your body that she had in her body and we're going to use that genetic tool to maybe kill the locusts and if this all sounds really convoluted the movie's saying f you and it's just moving on but and then he gets his one scene at the end of the movie where he's like please redeem me for all the evil things i've done with the dinosaurs 
Yeah, I mean, my my biology brain just like completely got stuck on the explanation of why he needed both um, the girl and uh, Baby Blue as we're oh, calling right. the dinosaur clone. Because the explanation is somehow they are both clones. We need both of them to compare their DNA to figure out how she, how the clone girl was made with this uh, with this uh, genetic disease taken out of her uh, DNA, which had been. Uh, which is what ended up killing her, uh, the original person that she is cloned from. I don't know what we, the mother essentially is what they refer to her as. Um, somehow in comparing those two DNAs, he needs both pieces to be able to figure out how she did that, which will somehow help him stop the locusts. And I'm like, this is not how DNA works. Like none of this makes sense. So the, the, the fundamental idea there that really breaks my brain is that they're both cloned in the same way. The girl that is cloned from the mother that had some sort of genetic splicing to take out that thing. And this naturally reproduced clone of baby blue is somehow the same. And I was like, how is that the same? Like your explanation for the dinosaur cloning is that they have lizard DNA and the lizard can reproduce asexually. That is a known type of cloning. The cloning that you're talking about for the lady getting her daughter is done in a lab. That is a very different kind of thing. So I was like, so did, so in order, like for me, in order for that to be the same type of cloning, it would have to be like, Blue would have gone into a lab and done like all the little like (laughs) genetic testing thing and like extracting samples and doing the cloning himself in a lab. And I was like, that's the only way this is the same type of cloning. And as ridiculous that it is, it's such a funny image to me to imagine like a velociraptor in a lab making the clone so that they're actually the same kind of clone. That actually might've made this for a better movie. I I would have, that would have been this movie, like not just like driving off the cliff, but then like rocket booster shooting out in the outer space. Yeah. Like my brain went off in a whole tangent there, but it's just, it is the most weird thing to, I think is, I think it's my favorite scientific nonsense in the entire Jurassic Park series. So I I guess the last thing I I wanted to kind of like mention in the movie is so both everyone ends up kind of like meeting at this dinosaur like tech lab compound that as you hinted earlier like this movie broadens the scope out to the world but then essentially brings us back to like a dinosaur sanctuary that's also a bio lab um I I, I can't go into like whatever is happening with the locust. Like there's a weird bit where like to cover the tracks, the Tim Cook CEO basically burns them, but then sets them free in the park. And then so like they right? are like why, burning why down the park. Fr- why did, why, why did they eject all the burning locusts in the middle of nowhere? Right, I that room? <laughs> um, and then like, I think the kind of get at that is some ways a tie in with, I think, even where this movie ends up, ends up feeling like as much as Trevorrow is maybe sort of overthinking this franchise to try, because there is a part of me that is like, I kind of get why you're going to these ever sort of extreme convoluted, like bio cloning and like genetic technology subplots is like it, this movie almost felt like uh, a focus group for like a company. It, like maybe this isn't a great example, but like uh, when Coca Cola launched New Coke, it always seeming like <laughs> we need to come up with something new to keep this fresh. And someone like overthinks it, and then the thing you've created is like so far away from 
the thing that people liked in the first place that it kind of ends up shooting you it sort of backfiring on you um but even like all of trevorrow's attempts to try and like say well oh well maybe this stuff is something that is kind of mentioned in the other movies that we can expand out and that's how you can keep the series going like once we kind of get to the climax of this movie i mean it's what like the fourth one of these movies that basically just ends with two giant dinosaurs kind of like godzilla fighting each other while people stand by and are like oh no (laughs) or just like saying oh well trying to like graph a personality onto the dinosaurs being like oh no he didn't is what it just feels like (laughs) people are like sitting on the sidelines like commenting when it's like get in the airplane leave like what are you doing but um i don't know it's just like the climax of this movie felt like the same as the climax to Jurassic world or the climax to Jurassic park three or the climax to the first Jurassic park. And it just made me think like, all right, we've, we've pushed this franchise into a section where I feel like we're losing the central appeal of it while also like in terms of creating set pieces for this franchise, we kind of just can't help, but keep like repeating the same thing over and over again. And I sort of found like the giant, dino godzilla match at the end kind of exhausting and redundant and boring um which is maybe just my final thoughts on this movie is like it's an insanely stupid movie as we've kind of (laughs) harped on for like half an hour at this point but like i found it kind of boring to watch and like a two and a half hour movie that felt like eight hours to me um i i don't know maybe it's a build up to like do you want more from Jurassic Park? Is there more from Jurassic Park? You, you is there other areas you think this franchise could go or like has this these last couple movies basically just mean like no, maybe maybe we shouldn't overthink this and maybe when we try and do the same thing over again it's boring and maybe just the lesson is like <laughs> maybe the lesson ultimately is what Jeff Goldblum said in the first movie of your your scientists spent too much time thinking about whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think about whether or not they should that that kind of feels like where i'm at with this franchise now i mean i kind of have my thought on that is kind of similar to whenever anyone asks of should 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 this whatever entity franchise keep going and my answer is the same for all of it is if you get someone who's willing to take a risk and does something well with it, yeah, it could. There, there's of course way more stories to tell within a world where there's dinosaurs. You just have to find a good story, and I think ever since um, the first Jurassic Park, no one, no one has just found a really like off the wall, interesting kind of story to tell within this world, and 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 they just haven't had the nerve to really invest. Granted, a lot of money to make one of these movies, um, but it can certainly be done. I am not interested in another rehash of the same story where everyone ends up at a park and then the dinosaurs fight each other and they all jump into a helicopter and end of movie. Um, that that I do not want to see again. If they can actually give us a Jurassic World, if I, I, I think I think Dominion has these really interesting bookends in these like pseudo news flash things of like, here's the dinosaurs living among the world. Like that is more of what I want to see more of. It is silly and goofy 
the, the scenarios that come up in those little things. And can that be expanded into an entire movie? I don't know. But honestly, I would like to see them try because if they do it well, I think that'd be a really fun movie. Yeah. Well, for now, though, I, I, I think I think this this franchise needs to lay dormant for for a little bit. I'm I'm fascinated to see what the the sort of general audience reaction is going to be for this. I think this movie is going to have a huge opening weekend as all, and will probably be really successful as all these Jurassic Park movies are. But um, I kind of walked out and I, I saw this at a press screening in like a very, very packed audience, um, which I would say the, the sort of feeling in the atmosphere was kind of like fine. Like pe- people kind of like, generally clapped at the end and i think it was mostly kind of people being like all right i'm satisfied the kind of i got to see a free movie or something and i got to see this like three days early but um most people that i've talked to who have seen it have really really disliked if not outright hated this movie and i think considering some of the weirder or unusual directions it goes in particularly with like the locust stuff i don't know i'll i'll be curious as to if this is a movie that has a huge opening weekend, but kind of like drops off in the weeks after and has uh, a kind of bad buzz around it, if only for people being like, this is not what I wanted from a Jurassic Park movie for better or for worse. Yeah, I agree. It's going to, I think it's going to go the exact same way. Well, any last kind of Jurassic thoughts, whether it be about a dinosaur you loved or a cast member who you thought really killed it? Uh, long live Rexy. I'm always team T-Rex. Yeah. The baby raptor's cute. I did enjoy the the puppet baby raptor. I was like, kind of adorable, but also kind of weird how the the dinosaur that scared me the most in the in the first movie, like definitely my fear as a child was like walking into dark corners of my house and being like, there's going to be a velociraptor hiding it, in, <laughs> hiding in there that's going to k- kill me. Now they've made that like the the cute cuddly dinosaur in this series um and very strange to have sam neil who is always like raptors are the most evil creatures that have ever <laughs> existed now goes to being like oh it's a baby by this movie i thought was very strange um but yeah that's that's jurassic world dominion i guess you get the jurassic park movie you deserve america um <laughs> Before we go, I, I figured I'd uh, give you the opportunity. Has has there been anything else that you've been watching that maybe if people have listened to this and are like, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm going to stay in. I'm not going to watch the Jurassic Park movie now after listening to you guys. Um, is there anything else you'd, you'd recommend people to check out that might be streaming anywhere or just anything uh, that's kind of caught your eye lately? So definitely kind of as we've already mentioned, go see Top Gun Maverick. It is uh, by far, I think, the best movie out right now, Um, Mm -hmm. especially in terms of blockbusters. I think it's one of the better blockbusters we've gotten in a long, long time. Um, And then also I will say that I have had the chance to see Lightyear. And is it the best Pixar movie in the world? No. Is there a really funny and great animatronic uh, kind of robot cat Yes, and that is kind of sometimes all I need in a movie. So you know what, Lightyear actually, uh, if we're talking about these kind of long-term sequels, Lightyear is okay. Lightyear does good. If you're looking for a family film, Lightyear is a good one to go to. Yeah, we'll be talking about that on the show next week. I got to see it as well. Uh, I'll keep my 
thoughts on it kind of at a minimum. Not necessarily because I have hot, spicy takes, but I'm not really <laughs> sure what the state of the embargo is and when this episode's going up. Uh, I did see, like, out this week, I guess if anyone's not going out to the theaters, there is Hustle, which is a pretty, like, okay, kind of down-the-middle uh, sports drama that stars Adam Sandler um, it's Sandler in one of his more kind of serious drama modes, but I I thought, well, I'm I'm not like a giant sports person, but I think if you're uh, and your mileage may vary until like uh, I saw this at an early screening with like a bunch of NBA basketball fans who were kind of like cheering and hooting and hollering and gasping that there are NBA uh, callbacks and inside jokes and cameos. J- just as many as there are for like this Jurassic Park movie. Um, it's basically like Sandler uh, is a scout for, uh, I believe, the Philadelphia 76ers. And he uh, finds a very talented basketball player on the streets of Madrid in Spain and basically works with him to try and get him into the NBA. You know, if if, if you like, if sort of inspirational sports drama is your thing i think uh might be worth checking that out on netflix i would say i'm kind of here or there with it but i do think sandler is like very very charming in it and um you know if you're just looking for something to watch on like a thursday night i maybe maybe can't do uh maybe that's a, a pretty solid choice right there so I am not a person who knows basketball. Um, so am I going to be as confused as that, as I was with that Soderbergh movie? What was it like High Flying Bird? Is that the one? Yes. Uh, so no, you shouldn't be as confused as as that one. I would say this is not too much. Uh, th- that That is a very much like we are getting into the minutia of like contract discussions and stuff, which I kind of liked about that movie, about how like un- unwilling it was to kind of like... Uh, make itself accessible and just sort of like coast on chatty professional people, which is just like a <laughs> mode of movie making. I really like, but um, no, th- this is like, I mean, this is I 20 years ago, this would be like a big Disney inspirational movie probably. Um, so that's, that's more of the mode that I would kind of uh, think going into this. But as, as I said, maybe not a great movie. I don't like it as much as, some other people but i'm sure if you're more of a basketball fan you'll probably get more out of it um but like i said i think if you're just looking for something to kind of like fire up on a wednesday night uh as after you have dinner then like it's 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 like an okay it's an okay choice so perfect for netflix good yes yes exactly well emily thank you for stopping by this week uh good luck getting the dinosaurs out of your yard and we will be sure to have you back for uh, another wild, crazy blockbuster because I feel like that's become a, a <laughs> the the go to thing I bring you back for is like us talking about like let's talk about a really weird movie that we need that's like mainstream and franchise that we like really need to unpack all the strange choices that are ha- happening in it. So maybe uh, Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there will be far more than an hour worth of talking about to do about Elvis. So. <laughs> <laughs>